I mean, I think that design has an opportunity to really change the world. I, I've always believed that any problem, any challenge is a design challenge. You know, um, a business issue is a design issue in my mind. The world's greatest challenges, you know, cleaning plastic out of the ocean, stopping wars in all of their forms and large scale conflict and small conflict. Inequality, poverty, food, water, education, these things are all, in my mind, they are design challenges. Um, so when you ask a question about, well, where have you had the most impact? Uh, I get excited because I feel like we are every day getting more and more opportunity to have impact because people in the, in the world really recognizing design's role. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Kathleen Brunnenborg, founder and chief design officer at IA Collaborative, a global design and innovation agency in Chicago and Los Angeles. Kathleen also serves on the Northwestern University's Innovation Council, is a board member of IIT Institute of Design in Chicago, and just recently also got the chance to be a visiting professor at the Harvard University teaching social innovation. This is a series of podcasts where IDSA and design drivers share insights from the IDC speakers and design voices in Chicago. Kathleen has a unique background in both business and design. And this is something we dive into, the rise of the importance of design in the area of business. We also talk about how to convince business stakeholders about the impact of design, how to be a master of collaboration, learning from the culture of the consultancy IA Collaborative, and how behavior design is a new gateway and huge responsibility for designers to drive impact and even save lives. A podcast fully packed of learnings and insights on why, how, and what design drives forward. Enjoy. Hey Kathleen, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Great, I'm excited to talk to you. So I think it would be great if you could give the audience a little bit of context about your background, about your journey and uh, all about that. Sure, absolutely. Um, first, I'm thrilled to be part of the Design Drives uh, podcast. I think it's an awesome podcast. Um, you asked what was my first exposure to design. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting background. You know, My father was a pattern maker for a company called International Harvester which was a manufacturer of agricultural machinery, construction equipment, trucks, automobiles. And so he was sort of this pattern maker, which is a role that used to work with designers and engineers kind of as the go-between to prototype and make sure all the machinery and the equipment worked. And so this meant that he was a craftsman and all good craftsmen um, have workshops in their basement. So I grew up with my dad's workshop being in the basement and in that workshop, was everything from saws, hammers, rasps, every type of, you know, jars filled with nuts and bolts and screwdrivers and he had bull saws and, uh, you know, strange mm -hmm. jars of liquids, <laughs> things like creosote, which, you know, just a crazy, crazy workshop. And then on the other side of that workshop, my mother um, had her things and my mother was a scientist. So she had her lab table, microscopes, you know, uh, little wooden boxes filled with uh, glass slides, and she had vials of little chunks of wax filled with oddities and strange things. And some of those vials contained things like mercury. I used to play with them. I used to pour the mercury into my hands and play with it. And we find out later that this is poisonous and never should be done. But oh well, that's what it was like growing up oh. <laughs> in my house. And so uh, dividing these two spaces was a half door. 
And um, being a kid, I used to put my chin up on the half door. You know, I'd peer into my dad's workshop and I'd look around at everything he was doing. And mm -hmm. eventually when I became taller, I was able to really look into that workshop. And also he trusted, he trusted, <laughs> he trusted that I could go in and, and play with all of the cool things that he was making and designing. And so my first exposure really to this idea of design was something he was working on at work and he brought it home. And this was a gear shift for a tractor and it had a rabbit and a turtle on the gear shift. And I was still a kid and I said, well, so are you designing kids toys? What is that? What are you making? And he said, uh, no, this is actually for adults. You know, you're, you're privileged. You know how to read and write. And, you know, this is, you know, a, a way for people to understand you know, speed. And he said, what do you think this means? I said, well, the rabbit means fast and the turtle means slow. He said, absolutely. You know, that's, that's what it is. And I thought in that moment as a kid, mm -hmm. that's, that's cool. I want to do that. And so I shared this story at the IDC conference last year in New Orleans at the Sugar Mill. And when I was done speaking, and this man was waiting in a line uh, to talk to us, to the speakers, and he came in, he was a very sweet, humble man, and he said, you know, I want you to know that um, I grew up in South America and in a very poor village, and my father, we didn't have shoes, we didn't have education, we didn't have anything, we were really in a bad way, and my father was looking for a job, and this man came into the village and said, if anybody wants to work in the fields with these tractors, you know, this company, International Harvester, is here and, you know, they're looking for people to work and, and farm, you know, come sign up. And he said, you know, my yeah. father said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I can't read or write. And the man said, don't worry. They've designed this equipment so intuitively, so easily, you won't need to be able, you won't need to have to read. And the man said, you know, that changed everything for us. Mm -hmm. We suddenly had shoes. We suddenly were able to go to school. We were able to eat. And uh, it was such a cool 180 for me as a designer to see how impactful yeah. what we do can be. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of my, that's sort of my why, you know, what my first real exposure to design was and kind of a long story. But um, you asked, you know, my stations, and I am the co-founder and chief design strategy officer at IA Collaborative. Uh, I also am a visiting professor at Harvard University, where I have helped teach a class called Design for Social Innovation. I'm on the Innovation Council at Northwestern University, and I'm a board member at the mm -hmm. Institute of Design, IIT. Sounds like, like you're quite busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very busy these days, because design has... Um, so much interest so it's, a, it's yeah. a wonderful time wonderful time to be in design absolutely and i think uh, what's very interesting with your background is that intersection of design and business is something we want to tap in into this co in the conversation i mm -hmm. think we were just before this episode we were uh, chatting a little bit about your education which mm -hmm. i think was uh, also super interesting so maybe you can share a little bit uh, about that sure so right now um universities like like Harvard, Northwestern, um, IIT, Notre Dame, um, Carnegie Mellon, a lot of universities are really uh, embracing design, uh, design thinking. In fact, I think we talked earlier, you know, if you're getting an MBA at Northwestern, which is one of the best schools in the world for getting an MBA, you, you, um, you must take design thinking. It's not an elective, it's part of the curriculum. Uh, the universities mm -hmm. are building it in and at a, such a pace and a level. I think it's a really exciting time. Um, at Harvard, uh, 
what they've done there is they've made Patrick Whitney, who was the former, uh, the former dean of the Institute of Design, and really I think uh, a pioneer of design thinking and design strategy education, they took, uh, they made him a professor in residence, and that's a, a thrilling thing to see a university do because basically what they're saying is that they believe in the value of design, design education, and they bring it mm -hmm. in. Yeah, but also I think what's interesting with your personal experience at mm -hmm. Illinois Institute of Technology, mm -hmm. um, you also were you know, touching both sides of technology and business. Maybe you can share a little well, bit about that. Sure. So in my early 20s, I was uh, an interactive designer mm -hmm. and I was designing a website for a large financial company. And the CFO of that company called my boss and said, I need to talk to the designers on this project and was very serious, had a very serious tone about it because I think something, I think there's some information that may have been leaked or shared and I need to speak with them. So my boss, uh, you know, had me speak with the CFO and basically he wanted to know if I could fly out to California and talk with him about where we received our information or our knowledge about the company's vision and strategy. And I thought it was really interesting that they wanted to put me on a plane at such a young age, fly me out there and have me meet with the CFO of a, of a Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. So when I finally, when I did meet with him, he said he pulled out the information architecture, the site map that we had designed. And he said, where did you get this? And I said, well, we created it at the, at the studio. We designed it. And he said, well, yeah, but where did you get the information? And I said, well, we... We, we organized the information in a way that we felt made sense um, around the organization. And he said, you know, um, this is work that we have spent uh, tens of millions of dollars over years trying to create in terms of a vision for the company. And this is our new vision, but you've laid it out in basically what looks like almost an organizational chart. And it's really proprietary information. So I'll, I'll ask you again, where did you get this information? <laughs> and I said, well, really, we just, you know, we were designers. We're intuitive, we're thinking about the user experience and the flow of communication, and, and this is what resulted in that. And I don't know if you ever believed me, but when I flew back uh, <laughs> from that meeting, I remember thinking, wow, design is this incredibly powerful thing. You know, we are really strategic in our profession. And so that was really the moment where I thought, okay, I really need to be looking at the business side of design. I need to understand mm -hmm. it. I need to you know, enroll in the Institute of Design, uh, IIT, the program there was the one program at the time that really was pioneering this idea of, of, of business with design. Mm -hmm. and so, mm -hmm. so your undergraded was in design? Yes. Uh, was it industrial design or was it, you know, product no, you know, design? My, or what was the name? No, it was graphic design. My undergrad Graphic was in, design, actually. Yes, graphic design. And, um, and then my graduate degree, again, the Institute of Design, IIT. Mm -hmm. Was then a master in business, right? Yeah, the way the program is structured at IIT, it is they combine um, what we like to call um, user business and technology in, in equal mm -hmm. measure. And so they mm -hmm. are bringing in frameworks and tools and understanding from the business world as well as from uh, you know, uh, design minds, the way designers work and think. So there's product design there alongside Uh, basically what you might learn if you were going to get your MBA uh, alongside research methods and true ethnographic approaches to understanding user behavior. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's also very interesting is that you, you, know, you come close to a 20-year anniversary when it comes to IA, 
mm-hmm. collaborative. Um, and you know, so that's quite a long journey of like growing a um, design studio. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be really interesting to tap into this as well before we tap more into um, the intersection of design and business. Sure. Uh, what were some of your learnings building the design studio and growing it over all the years? Well, yeah, 20 years. I can't believe next year will be 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, two decades. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we started the company truly with a philosophy that has never changed. Our vision has changed and evolved, of course, because great companies always are evolving all the time, Mm -hmm. constantly learning. Um, But 20 years ago, we said, you know, we really want to create an integration between design and business. And so the way we set about doing that 20 years ago is the same as today. Research, strategy, and design, the combination of all three. And we set Mm -hmm. out to create that as an integration so that we would form teams that have researchers, sociologists, um, anthropologists, ethnography, people who are trained in design research, all on the same team as people with their MBA, business strategists, and then, Mm -hmm. of course, design. So, And design at IA Collaborative can be product design, graphic design, uh, interactive design, organizational design, um, process design. Uh, We really are stretching and pushing ourselves to be at the forefront of design in all in, in the in the, in, uh, in such a strategic way I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the integration piece though the most and it's interesting because 20 years ago we were finding ourselves constantly educating people would say to us okay so you're um you're like a design firm and you have some researchers that you hire when you want to understand human behavior right we'd say well no and then they'd say <laughs> okay well so you i get it you're you're a design firm or you're, you know, and you've got like a, and then they just couldn't understand it. And then they'd flip it around and some people would say to us, okay, got it. You're a research company. You're all about understanding behavior. And yet you, you must have like a design studio somewhere in the back, you know, <laughs> and we, you know, have to educate and say, no, 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 we're truly an integration. And um, in fact, if you were to come into our office today, you'd see a reflection of that because everyone's on teams. Um, Everyone works in such a collaborative way, and you know, collaborative is in the name of the company. We set out to really be mm-hmm. leaders of collaboration and working together not only on our teams, but then with our clients as well. And I think we do that better than anyone. 20 years ago, we set out to do that, and we're really we're doing that now in such a, a brilliant way. And I'm incredibly proud. The, the companies that we work with are... They're, they're companies that are not always necessarily leaders of design, but a lot of them are. Um, we work with Nike, mm-hmm. Samsung, Lilly, GE, FedEx, Capital Group, Airbnb, Amgen, a, a wide variety. Mm-hmm. And that variety is really important because design, as you've seen over these last few years, it really stretches into so many different industries. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's, uh, it's exciting to see its impact and its influence these days as far reaching as you know being incredibly important to fintech and insurance just as much as it is to sports or food so great mm-hmm. great reach and that's one of the things i get most excited about is that you know coming into our office we've been told before by so many people that the the hair stand up on their arms because there's so there's there's an energy you can feel because when you walk in, you see so many different things and teams of people collaborating. Um, 
it's just, well, you've mm-hmm. been to the space, so you know, <laughs> it's an exciting. Yeah, so I was, uh, yeah, I, so I visited the space, right, f- yeah. uh, two weeks ago when I was in Chicago, actually. Mm-hmm. And what was really interesting was that, you know, uh, you know, the space is really big, you know, you feel the energy, even though it was after hours and there were not so many people anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was interesting is, you know, I, I would like to talk a little bit about, you said you're a master of collaboration, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I saw, I, I could feel that when I was in a studio with like an amazing space, but mm-hmm. I was wondering a little bit how you facilitate that kind of, you know, capability about you know, well, comes, being best in collaboration. Yeah. Maybe you can give some examples in terms of, you know, you need to mm-hmm. enable that also in terms of how you set up the space, right? Right, so right. Maybe some uh, interesting learnings around that. Sure. So, um to be a really good team worker, to be someone who's excellent at collaboration, you have to first and foremost have um, a sense of uh, culture. You know, you really have to have a great culture to have great collaboration. So culture is number one. It's more important than anything in our office. Mm -hmm. Culture determines how we choose projects, how we choose clients, how we choose people, of course, but culture has been so critical to our company in terms of being able to be great collaborators. Um, We created a set of maxims. Uh, This has been a really key thing for us as a company. We created a set of maxims and there are 10 of them. And the maxims are things like, so for example, right now, if you join a company, most likely as an employee, you will get an employee handbook. And in that handbook, there'll be bulleted important values that the company mm-hmm. uh, you know, will communicate to you. So you might have a page where you, you know, the bullets will say, you know, mm-hmm. respect, integrity. You know? <laughs> and I don't mean to make light of those things because it's really important, but they're just these singular words. And what we did is we really designed a set of maxims which are um, directional. They're paragraphs that really do what we value and how to behave. So I'll give you an example. One of our maxims is, Uh, live the problem to design the solution. Mm -hmm. So before you even begin working with us, and there's a paragraph that talks about the the importance of that and how you should be deeply user-centered, immerse yourself, understand user behavior if you're going to design anything. And so before you even join the company, Mm -hmm. you get this book and you read about that and you say, yeah, well, absolutely. I, I, I get that. I understand that key value. And so you come to the office already armed with a knowledge of who we are as a culture, what we value and how we expect and hope you will behave. And another really key maxim, and there are 10 of them, is one called um, always learning. And I really love this one because these, these maxims, they, they really they manifest themselves throughout your culture. So always learning is, a, is, a, is all about how to be constantly a sponge, constantly soaking up information, you know, going out into the world, looking internally, externally, constantly learning and trying to understand and be curious. And to that end, we've given everyone at the office uh, a scholarship. Everyone gets a certain amount of income that they spend on just learning, just going out into the world, and you can use it any way you want to. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's an example of the power of creating and establishing a set of maxims, and it's worked really well for us in terms of building that great collaborative culture. Um, You know, another thing we've done culturally that I'm really proud of, and it's it's a new program, we call it the biannual. And I don't know if any other companies do this, and maybe they do, but I haven't heard of it yet. And essentially, twice a year, we have everyone in the company come to leadership individually mm-hmm. and share what they believe is the most forefront work that they've done. And it's really hard because we're on such integrated teams that 
coming up and saying, here's my role, here's my specific part and what I have done, um, it's challenging. People have a hard time using the word I at our office. It's always we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. but it's been really great because um, out of that, what we do is really three things. We celebrate and we, uh, we learn in order to replicate. So, you know, it's basically a, a week mm-hmm. of time that leadership spends listening to every individual for only five minutes, twice a year. So it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it's been uh, so far uh, incredible because we're really, we're really um, walking the talk of always learning. Oh, in fact, yeah, I'll give you an example. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's so good for culture Super because interesting. it gives everyone an opportunity to really you know, interact with each other and show off. You know, it's really important, I think, for designers to have a moment to just stop, reflect, and say, you know, here's something I'm really proud of. I really think I rocked it. And some of the examples people will share might be, you know, a new, uh, a new example of um, something that they're doing in virtual reality or with AI or a new technology. Or another example might be, here's how I've, you know, spearheaded this organizational redesign. Or here's a new profit model that I've been really driving. You know, it's an entirely new approach using design to create new profit models for companies, and I've done that. Uh, one, actually, one of our staff, a guy named Kevin, he was great. He came in and he shared <laughs> this wonderful example of work that he did. It was all around uh, virtual reality, um, or artificial intelligence, sorry, and it was really exciting, and he's really into it. And he, at the end of his mm-hmm. presentation, of course, we said, well, you know, how do we replicate that? How do we do more? What can we learn from this? And he gave us his answer. But my favorite part of his presentation was that he, at the very end, he said, and it was fun as hell. <laughs> <laughs> when someone tells you, when an employee says it was fun as hell, I mean, for me, that's, you know, that's all that really matters. That's just such a great, yeah. that's such a great, um, you know, bit of championing culture to hear that kind of thing. It just, that's, that's what you want. So... Yeah, it's so important to celebrate also, right? It's something that I think often is underestimated. Uh, because there's always the next thing yes. running, right? Uh, so hard to make, Definitely. you know, stop sometimes. I was just wondering how you deal with mm-hmm. the opposite. How do you deal with um, if something is not working so good? Uh, is that also a space for the people to share it? Or how do you, you know, yes. learn about these things and then try to, you know, adjust the culture? Well, again, you know, culture is key. So if you have a good culture... And you're sharing things that aren't working, you know, of something that's failing, something that's not going well. Then if you have a good culture, then everyone's got your back. Everyone's supportive. Everyone's there for you. I feel that we have that. I feel like we have a really helping kind of culture where everybody's always, you know, everybody's always um, really proud to leverage their past. Uh, one of the things we have at our office, uh, was created by someone uh, at our office named Derek, who... Uh, he coined this phrase "lemonar," and I think it's about like he originally coined it out of well, when something sort of fails, you take those lemons and you make lemonade. And he, he said, but also we should learn about that, like a seminar. Mm-hmm. So he created these lem- this thing, this idea called a lemonar, and what it is is it's a way <laughs> for people to get up and share mm-hmm. uh, anything they want at any time they want. So a lot of companies might call this a learning lunch or you know um, just a speaker series, but you know we don't limit the content. If you want to get up and talk about, you know, your biggest failure, or if you want to talk about how you are the best person in the world at making ribs, 
<laughs> we, or you know, or if you're, you've got an incredible biscuit recipe because you grew up in the South and you want to share that with the office. Um, and these types of things, I think they really help build mm -hmm. culture, but they also um, create a sense of vulnerability. You're sharing about yourself. You're telling something that's important and intimate to you. And you're, by doing that, I think we create a space and a place for people to really feel comfortable when they're struggling. Yeah, sometimes I, I can imagine there was a lot of, it's hard for people to share these things, right? I mean, Fair. sort of you know, publicly, right? Uh, if things don't go so well, I, I, you know, I think it's, it's it might, I can just imagine it might be, you know, hard sometimes for people to open up for that. Definitely. As well. And so that's why I think things like that, having that kind of structure in your office really can help people, um, you know, really be their best. Um, I think, you know, I think it would be really interesting to talk a little bit you know, about the impact of design a little bit. I mean, you've worked, you know, almost 20 years uh, with uh, your company on all kinds of strategic questions. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you have any specific projects in mind where you really saw, you know, there was design really having an impact? Could be also in connection to business. Yeah. But you no, know, you know some examples where you had the feeling you know these were some great projects where design had a big impact. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, in 20 years, it's almost hard to pick out one or two because <laughs> there's just so much. And I feel every day that we are creating impact um, every day because mm -hmm. we focus on human experience. And so it's exciting to me that design itself, the industry, has evolved from people talking about designing for products or designing for services, but really. You know, even designing for organizations, but now the, the language we use so much is design for behavior. And mm -hmm. behavior, um, behavior is, you know, I think an exciting word for designers to truly embrace. We have worked on a lot of projects um, in healthcare. And when I think about impact, I think of, you know, last year the CDC put out a report that said that 40% of the world's most chronic Uh, the top five chronic diseases could have been prevented. So 40% of the top five chronic diseases, wow. meaning you know heart disease, uh, lung respiratory disease, cancer, uh, you know accidents, these diseases, the things that you that you could have prevented. What we're really talking about there, when we're talking about prevention, is we're talking about behavioral change, talking about behaviors. Mm -hmm. So. My habits. Mm -hmm. Habits, right. Bad habits, you know, um, not getting enough sleep, you know, not exercising or not, you know, eating well and all of these things that are behavioral. And when you think about that, if design is about behavior, we have such an opportunity and some might even say an obligation mm -hmm. to be looking at ways to save those lives. So for me, You know, I could name a number of projects where I feel strongly that our design, our work has paid off because, say, for example, you know, created a whole new pill pack for patients uh, so that they could stay more adherent to their medication, which is another behavior that you need to do if you want to stay alive and, um, and thrive. And so I could point to projects like that. Ultimately, though, I think, um, you know, there's just there's sort of an awareness or an awakening, I think, in, in many industries, healthcare. Uh, finance, insurance, where people are really understanding that design is something that can have deep, deep impact on how their product is received, but importantly, how it mm -hmm. might change people's behavior. I mean, I think that design has an opportunity to really change the world. I, I've always believed that any problem, any challenge is a design challenge. 
you know, um, business issue is a design issue in my mind. The world's greatest challenges, mm -hmm. you know, cleaning plastic out of the ocean, stopping wars in all of their forms and large scale conflict and small conflict, inequality, poverty, mm -hmm. food, water, education. These things are all in my mind, they are design challenges. Um, so mm -hmm. when you ask a question about, well, where have you had the most impact? Uh, I get excited because I feel like we are every day getting more and more opportunity to have impact because people in, mm -hmm. the, in the world really recognizing it, recognizing mm -hmm. design's role. Is that an industry you're really passionate about at the moment, uh, looking at uh, that aspect of design, design behaviors, the aspect of hospitality and well-being? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, certain things uh, really sparked my interest. I was thinking about the future of water the other day, you know, the world's supply of cheap and clean water. It's likely that that's going to fall. Um, we're gonna, it's going to plummet as the climate warms up and as more and more people and the populations grow. We're going to need to figure out ways to conserve, cut waste, you know, find entirely new resources. And so that to me is yet another exciting design challenge. I would love to tackle that. Um, aging. By the year 2020, people over the age of 65 are going to outnumber people under the age of five. So oh, that would be incredibly fun to tackle that problem. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a lot. Um, I, I, you know, technology, our company, you know, it's funny. I just came from a technology review, a meeting where our, our heads of um, the IXD group, the tech group at our office, just presented out what they want to do, what their future visions are. And it was a really uh, fun conversation because there's no limit. <laughs> I think our biggest challenge is, is narrowing because really there isn't a space or a place mm -hmm. that yeah, design can't be. Or, yeah. or in my mind, or in my mind, it shouldn't um, be. <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting. Um, you know, what's also interesting, you work a lot, you know, obviously with business and then also, you know, trying to identify, you know, how to, um, you know, create growth or to start a new venture. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering a little bit about how, how do you apply design mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in such a process where, you know, you, um, you know, you're talking about, you're talking to business, you're trying to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, bring in the, you know, tr try to, you know, figure out a new venture mm -hmm. uh, or a new product or service or something that could spin off. Yes. Uh, you know, how do you integrate design within that process? And how do you, you know, start the conversation with business people? Around? Yeah. So what I think you're really talking about there is um, what we've seen a pattern of um, businesses' greatest challenge, you know, um, the companies that we're working with, what, what are their greatest challenges, you know, and then how are we, you know, helping to kickstart the design conversation in those organizations if it's not already there, mm -hmm. or how are we basically talking about it? I would say the biggest challenges are this idea or this sort of, this, this philosophy of incremental improvement versus innovation, meaning that mm -hmm. every day, if you're working in a large corporation, you are tasked with certain number of things you need to do. You have quarterly reviews, you are beholden to certain numbers you must, you must meet. And so, You have to do those things. You have to constantly improve. Um, but it's scary, I think, for a lot of companies to say, well, we can't stop focusing on that incremental improvement. We can't start thinking purely about innovation. And it's true. You should be thinking about both. Um, Roger Martin has this great quote. Um, mm -hmm. Roger Martin said, organizations resist change because they're made up of individuals who are working at what has always worked. Most companies today are working in very fragmented ways. They're siloed. The departments are 
you know, not really talking to one another. The individuals working within those departments have yet to get together. And usually when we begin working with them is some of the sort of first time, say someone from marketing has ever met somebody from finance or someone from even packaging might have met someone from product. So there seems to be a lot of, um, you know, fragmentness, <laughs> uh, fragmentation. Sorry, there seems to be a lot of fragmentation um, among corporate structures. And I think that that's starting to change. More corporations, more companies and industries are recognizing that design, the design mind is a very systemic mind. And so by working with us, we tend to bring those silos together. Um, you know, there's a tool that we like to use. Um, we've created a framework at our office called Seven Elements of Design. And this is mm -hmm. basically that, have you probably heard before the questions, you know, what is viable, what is possible, what is desirable? It's business user technology. Mm -hmm. And we've sort yep. of expanded on that. You know, we call it user experience, profit models, process and resources. But then in between those areas and spaces, we've added brand, channels, and partners and suppliers. So really for us, mm -hmm. there are these seven elements that we need to design for in order to define what the offering is, what the next step is, and what the company should do. And so when you're talking about things as broad as brand and partners and suppliers, um, you have to have all of those people in the room together. And so, mm -hmm. you know, our clients, they are looking at issues like analogous market sizing, growth rates, um, you know, trying to understand how they can factor all of these disparate business issues into what they should be offering and creating next. And we believe that we serve often as that company that comes in and really helps that company pull together and understand not only or gain not only knowledge of their capabilities, but also their level of ambition. And it's worked really well for us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's yeah. awesome. Um, you were mentioning in the beginning the story about you know, you know trying to sell yourself uh, as a design studio and then working on you know, business problems as well mm. many, many years ago when you were a student, right? So yeah. I'm wondering a little bit, you know, now you're running this for 20 years. How is How did that change? You know, how... How I assume mm -hmm. it's much easier for people to understand uh, the concept of you know, you know mm -hmm. having design involved and you know, bringing a design perspective. But maybe you can talk a little bit about that transformation you saw in the conversation with you know companies and stakeholders. Yeah, you know, um, I'd say that uh, the things that have changed over time are that the education, that upfront piece of okay, this is what design can do. Um, that's been a lot easier, certainly in the last five years. But um, mm -hmm. I would say for us as a company, uh, it's been fascinating because design is seen now as such a strategic differentiator, such a strategic um, requirement that our competition has changed. So in the early years, we'd have RFPs and we'd have, you know, IDEO and Frog or RGA or, you know, other design innovation firms that those would be on the list. And now... It's management consulting as well as those design firms. So McKinsey, Bain, BCG, they are all showing up now as well. Companies mm -hmm. are really seeing mm -hmm. design as a strategic advantage. And so that's been exciting because uh, they understand and recognize its value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. What is actually IA standing for? Yeah, so IA stands for insight to action. Because when we started oh, the company... Yeah, we started the company and we said we really should be so user-centered in our process, our mentality, our approach 
but we don't want to leave out the actual implementation or the design. We never want to be, we never want to be Just too strategic. strongly, right? We always want to be that integration of true insight and action. Because, you know, what is, what is great strategy if, it's, if there's no great design? What is great design mm -hmm. if there's no great strategy, right? You know, you don't want to, if you don't, if you don't execute on a strategy, then what's its value? So mm -hmm. insight to action. Yeah, it's also something I always you know, notice you know, in my past experience that you know, if you don't connect these two sides, it, it will not be you know, pushed through. So uh, you know, if you know, these are two silos, right? And you know, mm -hmm. insight and action, and they don't really uh, align, right? Or in different locations or you know, don't collaborate really. Uh, you know, there is no, you know, the inside is not getting to the action, basically. Right. Um, so, I, and I think this is a big problem, uh, actually, I think for a lot of companies, because a lot of things, a lot of times, like this is like, you know, shared to different departments and different locations and so on. So it's not easy and no. different responsibilities mm -hmm. as well. You know, what's also interesting, you teach a lot, you know, you're in, in the education mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Um, you know, back then you were telling about your personal experience, you know, tr mm -hmm. trying to understand the diff the intersection of design and business. Now you're on the other side and try to, you know, help uh, st students. And, uh, you know, was, when we were chatting also earlier, it's interesting is that, you know, you know, design is so much more part of the conversation now. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you can share a little bit about that as well. Um, how Definitely. how is it? Is you know, I, I'm especially wondering how is it for students? Do they yes. get the concept upfront, mm -hmm. um, or is that idea already established? So my favorite teaching experience has been a recent one where I was invited in as a visiting professor at Harvard uh, into Patrick Whitney's class uh, class called mm -hmm. Design for Social Innovation, and mm -hmm. I loved this class because it was comprised of a wide variety of different types of students. So Harvard assembled a group of people who were different ages, race, gender, a wide range of diversity, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I think the best way to do anything yeah. because that, you know, if you're with like-mindedness, then you don't ever evolve and you don't learn anything new. And so they really structured the class that way. And what I loved about this class is that Everyone uh, came from either Harvard Chan School for Public Health, I think there may have been a few from the Harvard Business School, but a lot of them had science backgrounds and they had been practicing, so mostly PhD level students. And so they'd been practicing out in the field. They had patients or they were working in uh, healthcare public policy or in some regard, they had been trained uh, with, to develop a science mind. And the way that a science mm. mind thinks is you know, with uh, controlled variables, and then those controlled variables then become reduced and, you know, very focused questions and reduced and reduced and reduced down to a single answer. And that's how a science mind has always worked. It's been very much that way. And so your brain gets trained that way and you start thinking that way when it comes to problem solving. And that's a very mm -hmm. good thing because by doing so, we end up with, um, you know, penicillin. <laughs> we end up with, you know, incredible breakthroughs in science. So this is a, a wonderful thing. What's been exciting about this class is that we were bringing new thinking to the students. So we were bringing how designers think, a design mind. And mm -hmm. you're a designer, so you know this. But um, for people that are trained in design, we have, you know, multiple inputs at the beginning of a project. Uh, we're constantly asking open-ended questions. And we don't reduce as much as we expand and synthesize and broaden 
and end up with systemic solutions. So combining these two schools of thought, these two ways of thinking, I think it was really, really um, dramatic for the students because here they are practicing day in, day out a certain way and then learning new methods and new research. Uh, the results of it were fantastic. One of my favorite memories from the class was there was a, one of the students was a thoracic surgeon and he, we had taught him about how designers don't always look to fix a problem, but often they look to solve, like they're thinking solution. So in any user journey, there's highs and lows, there's bright spots and there's things that are broken. And designers, we look at the bright spots and build on those just as much as look at what's broken. Mm, um, exactly. And mm -hmm. so for him, he was so excited. He came into class uh, mid-semester and said, you know, I've been working in clinic for eight years. My patients, they come up to me and I, every day I say, you know, let's look at what's broken. Let's fix this thing. Let's, you know, I want to work with you. And he said, but now I'm, I'm saying, hey, what's going well? You know, and I'm, I'm building on all the things that they're doing right. He said, so now I'm really working with them. And he said, it's forever changed my mind and how I think about what I do. So it was a really exciting moment for me to see someone who is brilliant in the science spaces uh, adopt uh, how design mind thinks and processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super interesting. I, that must be a great feeling as well, right? If you can bring in a design perspective into that and see that kind of output. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of discussion also these days about, you know, the democratization of design through design thinking and yes. some of the positive and negative things uh, that, you know, happen to design with this. What is your personal, I was just wondering a little bit about your personal view on, on that kind of conversation. Well, you know, you are asking someone with the word collaborative, their personal view yeah. on democratization of design. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure you know the answer. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's, it's just second nature. I think designers are the good designers, the good ones are systemic. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about everything. We put and pull pieces together. There's no bit of content that we can't feel comfortable drawing from. So we very much value diversity of thought. And we believe that everyone is creative. And, um, everyone has creativity in them. Um, I always find it so comical because my friends who are not designers, they always say, oh, I can't draw. <laughs> and, or, you know, I'm, I'm not creative. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't know, somewhere along the lines, maybe it was kindergarten, who knows, but somewhere along the lines, they, they taught themselves that they weren't creative. And we just believe that everybody has something to contribute. You can get value mm -hmm. from everyone. And so that's our mm -hmm. philosophy. And so to me, uh, democratization of design is uh, a great thing. And, um, you know, I, I also believe strongly that um, designers don't need to be calling all the shots. You know, we, we don't need to only serve as a coach or a catalyst either, you know, but it's really about that true integration. So when you think about um, design being embedded throughout an organization, It's not because we have to dictate what happens. It's simply that we should be our way of thinking, this generative, creative mindset that pulls from any input that is relevant or that we feel we can use. This is a huge opportunity for companies to start embracing design to really look at how we can add into each area of their company and not see us as uh, wanting to call the shots, be dictators, and not see us as um, only coaches, but yet a true mm -hmm. member of the team. Throughout. Yeah, I, I expected that kind of answer, obviously, or the, you know, that kind of perspective, <laughs> I think, on the conversation, and you know, totally agree. And 
Uh, but I think it's very interesting to you know listen to how you make the point, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, to understand the why, uh, because yeah. I think there's an interesting conversation uh, happening uh, at the moment in the design community uh, around that question uh, with you know, different kind of views. Um, you know, you know, I, you know, we were touching a little bit on you know, the growing importance of design, like you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do you see any future risks? You know, that come along with that. Um, there could be also technology. I think there's an interesting discussion about um, uh, the role of AI. I would say, for me, right now, the biggest future risk uh, when I think about designers is that they may. Well, I think this is changing, but what my dream for all designers is that they value themselves. They see the impact that they create. And if there's mm-hmm. any risk, it's that they somehow don't value themselves at the same level as uh, someone, say, someone with a master's in design, uh, to me, is on equal level as someone with an MBA. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. You're, you're both providing uh, some value. And so the only risk, I think, would be is if uh, design thinkers or design minds don't value themselves at that level. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, yeah, I, can think, I think that's probably all I can really add to that. That's probably the only thing I think would be a risk right now. Um, seems to me, in fact, um, it's really hard as a design mind for me to actually think um, about the negatives. You know, I think designers yeah. by nature... It's not that we're, you know, smiling and everything's sunshine. Certainly some of the best designers I know are also the biggest cynics I know. But there's something about designers' mind where you're creating, you're generative. So mm-hmm. it's very, very hard for designers to, I think, look for the, the, the negatives all the time. So if you're, yeah. watching, if you're watching two designers work and there were, say, thought bubbles over their head, um, and you could you could read what, what they were thinking, you know, they'd be saying things like, um, you know, well, hey, what typography should I use or what materials would work best? These are the thoughts, you know, what's going to work? What should I do? What could it be? And what if? In fact, you it's it's almost awkward to try to say, you know, what typography won't won't work? You know, how, yeah. How, what, is there a material I couldn't use? I mean, you know, as a designer, it's like you can't even... <laughs> You can't yeah, do that. It's a quite optimistic <laughs> discipline, right? <laughs> well, yeah, optimism, but is one word for sure. There's also just this generative making quality of the design mind. And I think that's why design is so well suited for innovation. Yeah, one more reason to celebrate um, the outputs, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's visible so it's to, to make the, the impact visible, right? I think it would be really interesting if you could, you know, maybe we can, uh, you know, explore a little bit on that you know, aspect of. Um, AI, like I was mentioning, do you see mm-hmm. any uh, major risks when it comes to um, design, uh, when it comes to you know, artificial intelligence? Well, what's interesting about new technology to me, and I've learned this from the people I work with, um, I'm very lucky I work with mm-hmm. some of the greatest talent and the people that are really at our office at the forefront of, of design and AI and new technologies like AR and VR, those folks have taught me that the, the file formats aren't even, um, haven't been created yet for a lot of new technologies. So Mm -hmm. this is really interesting to me because it means that designers can not only be just using these tools, but designing the tools themselves. So it's not so much that we'd be developing the new technologies, but that, you know, what the technologies enable, what they could be, how they could be used, how to make those technologies themselves user-centered, um, I think that's a really interesting space for designers to start to explore. 
I also think mm-hmm. um, behavioral economics and data analytics combined with the way design research and the methods from design research, the mm-hmm. combination of using all of those different types of those different fields, I think that's a really powerful space for artificial intelligence to start um, utilizing in a really uh, collaborative, comprehensive way. So that's another mm-hmm. area that I'd love to explore. Yeah, really interesting. I think there's an interesting discussion these days um, around you know the future of design when it comes to you know some of the future capabilities um, of AI. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to tap a little bit into your view uh, on that. So you know, I think you know to 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 sort of wrap this um, up. I was wondering if, you know, considering your background in the intersection of design and business, what would be your advice to, you know, young people, young designers, mm-hmm. but doesn't have to be, you know, designers specifically, it can be also people from business, uh, your advice uh, for people interested around that space? Yeah, so my advice to anyone who's interested in that space, that intersection of design and business, um, and really my advice to anyone who's interested in design is that it's such a fantastic fantastic place to be right now because it does have an amazing reach you know the influence and impact that design is having in such a diverse uh, so so many diverse spaces means that you don't really need to focus on one specific area you know you can leverage anything that you've done in the past and everything that you will do in fact um, you know John Maida has a renewal Uh, summit. He's had it two years in a row. Hopefully he'll have it again. But it's basically a a group of creatives he brings together from all over the world and spends a week talking about design and just really uh, talking about community, talking about diversity, talking about big issues in the world and how how design might tackle them. And Nicholas Negroponte was there. He's the co-founder of the MIT Media Lab. And I remember he was talking and he said, you know, focus is the new F word. (laughs) <laughs> and I love this because he said, you know, his students, nothing makes him more unhappy than when his students go out into the world and they focus, they dial in on a specific app that they want to design or create. And he said, you know, you've got these minds that are really expansive, broad thinking. And he said, it's just such a shame. Um, and I, and I, believe, I believe that. I agree with that. I think that if you are interested in the intersection of mm-hmm. design and business today, that's fantastic. But be aware that you don't need to dial in. You don't need to focus on one specific area. Uh, you can leverage a lot. You don't need to. Um, you know, I think our parents. You know, today parents will say, uh, "So you know, um, sp- pick a one specific passion and go after it." And yeah. uh, I just want to grab every parent by the shoulders and say, "No, it's passions, plural," because I think the modern worker is really someone who leverages a lot of things. I see that at our office every day. You know, someone will be working on a cycling project and then someone else will say, oh my gosh, I spent 10 years, you know, as a triathlete, you know, cycling, can I be on that project? Or someone else will be working on um, a degenerative eye disease and someone in the office will say, you know, I used to go, I was in medical school for, you know, a few years studying uh, optometry. Um, I know a lot about this, could I be on this project? So there's nothing wasted. Mm-hmm. It's really in design. It's leverage. Yeah, I think it's 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 so it's so interesting. You know, it's really the shift uh, where you know the private, you know, personal passion, interests, or you know, skills in a way, mm-hmm. and the professional skills where you meet and where you can grow on 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 top of that uh, throughout your career. Right? It's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Kathleen. <laughs> thank you for sharing all the insights. Oh, well, thank you. I'm I'm thrilled to be part of your podcast. Yeah. Thank you.
that was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.